uh, I ain't gonna lie. Turning 30, um, I'm now noticing my childhood trauma. Childhood trauma. <laughs> childhood trauma. Childhood trauma. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? We're your hosts, Malcolm and Brittany Garrison, and you're listening to Let's Talk About It. Let's Talk About It is a space where we unpack life's transitions and their effects on millennials. As entrepreneurs and millennial parents, we've navigated a lot of life transitions. And we're here to share those experiences with you while challenging perspectives and engaging in open dialogue. Y'all ready? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay, so like you said, now that you're turning 30, Right. Um, You're noticing your childhood trauma. And I'll say for myself in regards to a topic like this, the older you get, there are certain things that happen in your life. And I don't necessarily want to utilize the word triggered, Mm -hmm. but there are things that kind of awaken you to things that might have started a long time ago. Okay, like what? Like. If you if you had to really look at it as an adult, there's some defining moments that remind you of stuff that when you really start to unpack it, which is something that we're doing on this podcast, when you start to unpack the bag of who you have become as a person at 29, you can kind of pinpoint some things that come from childhood. Like, why are you insecure or why are you uh, afraid of rejection? Why do you feel like people are going to abandon you? Why are you a people pleaser? Why are you, you know, why can't you tell people no? Why, why are you so focused on making sure people, everybody's happy and excited? And even if it's at the expense of yourself and there are moments like this, that I think the older you get, you start to identify that that's not something that just came out of nowhere, right? Your desire for success or your desire for, um, you know, levels of income, that stuff doesn't just come out of nowhere. Of course, there's ambition, but some of that stuff is is childhood related of how you grew up. And, you know, of course, we always talk about environment, right? You talk about the environment that people grow up in and how those environments shape who you are. And I think when you use words like trauma, most people focus on like, oh, did something happen to me when I was a kid? Not realizing that you could have had what you consider a really, really incredible childhood and which we both agree that we did. But there are some areas that the older you get, you kind of are more awakened to as an adult, what you were experiencing or what was happening within your family when you were a child. I'll say this. um, When it comes to finances, I, I started to pinpoint childhood trauma and why I see money the way I do or why I spend money or lack thereof money. Lack the way I do. Lack thereof. Listen, everybody knows that Malk is going to save a dime. Listen, but but I had to had to start unpacking like why am I this way? Why do I think about saving money more than anything? Mm -hmm. And one thing I'll say, you know, and I think we've we've had this conversation with us and our friends is that when I went to uh, private school. When I went to private school in high school, I finally got to see the hierarchy when it came to the haves and the have nots. Okay. And for so long, I was like, my life was cool. Like I thought we ain't had no issues. I ain't had no issues. I had no financial issues. But then you go to a school where 16 year olds are driving Benzes mm-hmm. and you driving your feet. <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> you was, you was definitely Tariq before Tariq was Tariq. Legit. Like legit. I, I definitely was. But I'm trying. So when I get there, I'm now starting to see that. Oh, I ain't got no money. Mm. Oh, I don't even come from money. Dang. So 
now I'm saying, so think about this because I, I think we, we, um, as parents now, mm-hmm. we try to give our child the things that we didn't have. Yes. We try to, you know, overcompensate for the things that we never got to do. Mm-hmm. We do for them. Right. Not noticing that you could probably be creating a crutch or you could be creating a mental problem. So do you feel like because your parents, because of the way that your parents grew up, their their idea of getting you out the mud or like, you know, how we talk about your the the ceiling of your life should be the floor of your children's life. Do you feel like because they were the way they grew up, they put you in private school thinking that that was a leg up for you. Correct. But what happened for you is that you actually saw that you were the leg down. Correct. So so think of it like this. My mom's from from uh, North Philly. Yeah. My dad is from Charlotte. So country boy, city girl. Right. My mom came from straight up poverty and her she she literally was determined to never go back, mm-hmm. never go back that, you know, to that lifestyle and stuff like that. So when it came to us, any advantage that we could to be far removed from that, right? they would take, you know, and even in middle school. So middle school, I got bused to middle school. Okay. Uh, it took maybe two hours to get to middle school. Jesus. Yes. Two hours every day uh, just to, you know, catching the bus and stuff like that. But they had a program mm-hmm. for people like me. Ain't that crazy? So it's a public middle school. Right. But my parents didn't want me to go to the area middle school because mm-hmm. they, I, for because whatever the reason. area that you lived in. Yeah, but it wasn't even a bad area, but. Which is pretty interesting. Which is interesting. Your mom it's and how they were trying to get you out of it, but they still didn't feel like that was enough. Yeah, they they felt like, the you know, the zone schools that was around still wasn't good enough. So they bust you to suburbs, suburbs, you know, like the real suburbs. So you like, you was real live All-American, Spencer James. Legit, Yes. So middle school, I'm I'm going to a school that is really, really far from home. So I definitely can't walk home, of right. course. But that was the start of it. Like, okay, I got to get them out of a situation. I got to get them out of, out of their current environment. And I'm doing this to better them so they can get a better education, so they can, you know, d- get a leg up. Right. That's where the leg up mentality started. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start noticing, you know, these things until I was older, but... Going into high school, I didn't actually go to an all-boy Catholic high school, mm-hmm. but it was a really good basketball program, um, which in retrospect, it wasn't good for me to go there to play basketball because it wasn't like I was recruited there. And I could have went to the area high school and got a, had a better opportunity basketball-wise. Right. But because they were adamant about giving me a leg up, they put me in this private school, and I'm immediately seeing that I am the lowest on the totem pole. So every day it's a constant reminder that you don't got no money. <laughs> and and then when you get old enough to drive, you're walking and your friends, your teammates, mm-hmm. they're driving their cars. They they getting to do whatever they want to do. They they got this freedom. I gotta wait for you to pick me up at the work. So you start to see, like, okay, it was this time where, you know, a, a good friend of mine, a teammate at the time, he lived in uh what we call Columbia, mm-hmm. Columbia, Maryland. We went to his house. We pull up. This house is huge. We go in. He got, you know, like what you see in T- MTV Cribs with Gatorades and refrigerator <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. He had that stuff. And I'm like, yo, what is this? This is completely. I was like, what do your parents do? They own their own business. Mm. So I immediately 
am now looking at my life. And and this is for for parents, if you, you know, millennials and parents that your parents right now and you're trying to give your child a leg up, not knowing that you could be killing their ego at the same time. You see what right. I'm saying? Like you you could be putting them in a position where they're comparing themselves all the time. Mm. And this is where I was like, okay, when I get some money, I'm going to keep mine. Right. Because it's clear as day I don't have enough. <laughs> so these things happen. You see this and you see this all the time that you now eventually is like, okay, I now know that I never had money. So that was a defining moment, I guess, as a child, you know, where you realized that there was something different about you. Correct. I'll, I'll say what's interesting is as a parent, like you said, I think you start looking at things from a different perspective. You were looking at that at that time. Because I remember when we first moved to Atlanta, you got your first job. Mm-hmm. You started looking at the money significantly different based off of what you yes. knew and what you'd seen. And I think what we're talking about isn't necessarily our personal childhood traumas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it contributed to yours or what you're saying, but I think it's actually our parents' childhood traumas that they were trying to correct that now created new traumas that they didn't understand. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them, because you think you're doing a good thing. Yeah. So like for me, both my parents, they grew up uh, without their fathers. Okay. And um, my mom, she grew up with a stepfather, but not her biological dad. And I think because of how they grew up and, and my, my, both my parents are the youngest of their family. My mom is the youngest of uh, four. Mm-hmm. My dad's the youngest of seven. And they had a significant um, upbringing. Right. And I think because of one growing up in, in broken homes mm-hmm. um, and two, Growing up, my father was kind of estranged from his siblings at some points in his life, especially being the youngest. Um, And some of them were like significantly older than him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because of that, what they created in the dynamic of our household, one was making sure that they, you know, I guess, um, stayed together. One, to make sure that we grew up in a two-parent household because they understood what that felt like. But the other thing was they were very adamant about family functions. And I mean, you've been in my house, you know what I mean? Dinner. Um, vacations, uh, we all gather in one person's room and have conversation and all that kind of stuff like that, which was significantly different than your family and your up, your upbringing. But, oh, yeah. but when you're talking about what it derives from, it derives from the fact that you felt estranged from your family or you, you felt like your you and your siblings could have been closer, but you weren't because of whatever circumstance. So you're writing what you wish you had with your children. Yeah, Absolutely. And I will say, you know, for us, it definitely, you know, it made my siblings and I close. Uh, we've had a lot of experience together and a lot of memories together. But I think it it when we're talking about childhood trauma, I think a lot of the rationale behind how they were doing what they were doing and why they were doing it, mm-hmm. um, even down to like how, how my my parents grandparent is significant to how they grew up and their relationship um, with their grandparents. And so I think it's really interesting that you start to kind of unpack these things for yourself, but not even for yourself, but understanding your, the stuff that you're dealing with or the stuff that you're experiencing, the the reason why you're like you are or why you're experiencing what you're experiencing is because your parents are people. And I think the older you get, especially with us, you know, we're approaching 30. It's like realizing like, yo, your parents are people. That's the hardest thing to to, to kind of wrap your head around is that, Maybe your parents didn't get therapy like they needed. Right. Maybe they didn't have an outlet. Maybe they, you know, they they did the best that they could. They of had course. no podcast. 
They ain't had, yeah, they ain't had no podcast to relate to and stuff like that. But you start to see the human inside of your parents, especially when you have a kid. Especially you when you have a kid, I'm, yes. I'm freaking human as human can be every day, you know. And it's it's very very hard to not blur those lines where I want to give them everything I haven't had, mm-hmm. but will will I be doing them a disservice by doing so? Right. And one of those experiences for me definitely. It showed me. I mean, there was, I couldn't even get my license because we, I mean, we didn't have a car that didn't have a check engine light on, mm. you know, and it's not to say that you know, I lived very comfortably right. and that's, that's why it was so shell shocking to me because I had never wanted for money. Right. But now you put me in a situation where it's a clear hierarchy mm-hmm. that creates so many mental battles with somebody that is like a teenager. Yeah. That they're always like, yo, well, what the heck? So like, what would you what, say? What, what, what would you say was how did that shape you as an adult? Like, what are some things that you would say kind of like because of this, I'm like this now? Well, um, I, I haven't I've never been materialistic. OK. Um, So things and, you know, buying nice stuff and stuff like that, like that was never something that intrigued me. Mm-hmm. It was all I was always about. How much money can I keep and how much money can my money last me? Okay. I was always thinking like that. I was thinking kind of with a wealth mindset from from a really young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it even heightened even then because I saw that these people, they own businesses, like their, their families own businesses. And that's why they were so uh, well off financially. And I'm just thinking, you know, I, I hadn't asked nobody how they got successful. But I'm just thinking like, man, they had to have not spent all their money for sure. Right, for sure. Um, that's why they have so much, at least. <laughs> and that's not to say that your parents were spending it all. No, they weren't spending. There was there was wasn't a them. surplus. So that's the thing too that that p- contributes to the mentality. My parents didn't spend money on anything really either. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they they're very conservative people. Um, they live a comfortable life, but very conservative and not materialistic. Uh, you know, per se. Mm-hmm. At least I know my dad isn't. My mom, she you know she can shop a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she can shop a little bit, but. My dad was very, very seldom when it comes when it came to that. And you are a hundred percent your father so in ninety plus ways. That stuff shapes you and, yeah. and you don't even know it. It's shaping you and how you see money, how you how you um, you know, see see the world, really. No, nah, facts. I mean, but but for you, what what was some things that you kinda started learning at thirty? I think at thirty, one of the biggest things was realizing that I had a problem with standing up for the things that I wanted. Explain that. That's the cute way of saying people pleasing, right? The cute way of saying people pleasing, which is, you know, I think sometimes there's such a negative connotation to it, but the truth of the matter is this, is that when you're a people pleaser, it's because you don't want to disappoint people. You don't, you want all people to feel good around you. And and when they're with you, it's a great time. And you know, they, they love your, your energy. They love your being in your space because of how they feel when they're with you. But it also contributes to a lot of problems because you have difficulty telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're a liar. It's that you won't say what's necessary. You know, just to, not to cut you off, but you you know that like, that was kind of one of the things that kind of like pissed me off. Like like why she's always saying yes to stuff. You know, I just want to. I just want to help. <laughs> and you know, because we're so different, it looks like on the outside looking in, it looks like oh well, Malcolm don't want 
Right. You know, like, no, it's not that. It's just she says yes to everything. I do because that was I, like a pet peeve of mine, and I'm I'm very sorry about that. But the truth of the matter is, you know, um, when we did our premarital counseling, we we were given a book, and I think it really helped me to understand me, um, in in why you're like that, and and we'll get into some of the details of that soon. But that was the biggest thing. It's like I I like being reliable because I like reliability. Yeah, but what I can say is when you're a people pleaser, you're you're I won't say a people pleaser. You're a pleaser. I don't like the people part. <laughs> you you're a pleaser when you when you're that person. You thrive off of reliability, and it can be a blessing and a curse. And I think the older I've gotten, really over the last, really probably over the last eighteen months, probably since I got pregnant. Wow. Um, the last eighteen months was really like realizing that. You know, you realize how often you say yes when when people are surprised that you say no. Yeah, I, I think what it makes you susceptible to is people taking advantage of you. And I think, you know, since we've been together, I've seen that. Like, I've seen people know that. Brittany's you know, going. Brittany got it. Brittany got it. Brittany's reliable. She'll she'll take care of it, and they take advantage of that part of you. And that's the part I, I you know, I try to check. I'm like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it might come come around harsh, but I, I can see that people will take advantage of that quickly. Oh, for sure. That's why I said what I've started to realize over the last 18 months is really understanding that being that reliable person is a blessing and a curse. Like, you know, I, I've I've had a strange friendships because I couldn't be a hundred about it and tell that person about themselves or, and I think that was because I wasn't, I wasn't the best at communication at the time. I've really spent a lot of time you know, focusing on how I communicate what it is because of stuff like this. I've focused on how to communicate what it is that I'm looking to say, what it is that mm-hmm. I'm, the message that I'm looking to get across so that I don't have to feel like I have to dress it up and put it in a pretty box for me to express myself yeah. about my needs or my wants or my likes or my dislikes. Honestly, up until recently, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, you can have you can have things and you want to support people. Like I'm the person that I show up for people and I want to show up for people and I want them to know that when they, when they call on me, I'll be there. Um, But like you said, it it is a blessing and a curse because sometimes people look at that as I can be, I don't have to always be on point because Brittany's going to pick up my slack. And that started to be, you know, I'm like, well, who the hell I get to lean on? Yeah, because I think what you... Outside of you, you're a great lean on. What you used to do is that, okay, because you're that way. Yeah. If it's not reciprocated, you have an issue. I feel a way, for sure. <laughs> you know, you feel a way, like, all right, this person isn't there for me like I'm there for them. Oh, my gosh. Or no. they haven't done this, and, I, and I've been doing so much for them. Yes. And we've had conversations like everybody aren't isn't like you. And you they know? should be. No, I'm just playing. No, but, you know, everybody's so different. And because you, if we were friends, you know, outside of, you know. Yes. You would hate me. You no, know, you sure. would hate Y'all me as a friend. Is, oh, my Christ. You would absolutely hate me as a friend because I'm a very low maintenance friend. And and what you're talking about is with communication but that's a whole nother topic we ain't even gonna get into that today but when we were in our premarital counseling and we started to unpack some of the things like shout out to anybody who's engaged uh even if you're married i ain't gonna hold you i 100 percent am a advocate for premarital counseling and in marital counseling just because you're getting marital counseling or even therapy if you're not married become a, a you gotta unpack this stuff man it's so much that we've suppressed over the years and it's not 
not even on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I'm a very heavy advocate for therapy and self. That is my form of self care. But um, if you're preparing to get married, I tell people like premarital counseling changed a lot for us because there was a lot that we needed to unpack that you don't really have opportunities to have certain questions to really talk about what has shaped you. And that's what we mean when we talk about childhood trauma. Um, Isn't necessarily just about the the trauma part, but it's really those things that have shaped you. And in that process of us going through that and us unpacking some things, um, our marriage counselor, shout out to Mike and Cass. Yeah. Um, they were really, really Very dope. dope uh, sh- saving your marriage before it starts program. Um, but one of the things that he was telling me based off of the conversation we were having one time is that you need to read this book called how we love and in how we love, it talks about the six different love styles and the dope part about it is talking about there's some moment in your life when you're young as Jack's yep. that, defines and shapes how you love show love or want to be loved and i think we should unpack that john all right well let's talk about that okay so let's talk about it let me pull out my notes let me pull out my notes guys (laughs) so this john is so super dope and um you know there's a quiz we'll we'll put it in the 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 notes of the pod um, where you guys can kind of get access to this and and take the quiz for yourself to find out who you are but i'm gonna break them down um in a short version um so there's six different love styles okay okay you have the avoider (laughs) the pleaser the vacillator the controller the victim and the secure connector Obviously, the secure connector is the person that is whole. Okay, they're the they're the ones that are just good with this whole thing. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna break this down. The avoider. Let's, Let's see. Talk about it. So the avoider. Avoiders come from homes that are often low in affection, but place high value on independence and self reliance. Avoiders grow up learning to take care of themselves. Yeah. To Deal with the anxiety of having so little comfort and nurturing from their parents. They have they have learned to restrict their feelings and suppress their needs. As adults, avoiders can seem emotionally distant or unengaged. Wow. So are you an avoider? You're the person that says stuff like, I'm usually fine. And when something bad happens, I try to get over it quickly. In my family growing up, we rarely discuss personal concerns. I'm usually the happiest when others are happy and don't want a lot from me. Low maintenance friend. Uh, I think we're identifying a person in the room. I don't really think about my own feelings and need uh, and needs very often. I don't really miss my spouse or family if I'm away from them for a while. Wow. I need my space. We love our space. (laughs) (laughs) So it's safe to say that you're an avoider. Yeah, I mean, we took the test, and um, I was definitely an avoider, but we, we'll, we'll get to that. You want me to read them all? Yeah. Okay. No, read, read, read a few more. Okay, bet. All right, so the pleaser. And I've already told y'all that's me, so we'll just go ahead and let's... Okay, so based off of what I said, right? Pleasers usually grow up in homes with an overly protective or angry, critical parent. Pleasers, uh, Pleaser children do everything they can to be good and avoid troubling their reactive or anxious parent. These kids don't get comfort. Rather, they spend their energy comforting, caretaking, and appeasing parents and siblings. As adults, pleasers tend to continually monitor the moods of others around them and try to keep everyone happy. Eventually, they can become resentful, but rarely know how to express their own difficult emotions or ask for what they want. So you're a pleaser if these 
you know, kind of things are what you say. Uh, for the for most of all my childhood, I could have been described as the good kid. I feel very huh. upset if someone is upset or annoyed with me. So I'm very good at keeping peace. I seek connection and avoid rejection by anticipating and meeting other others' needs. Conflict makes me uneasy, and I prefer to deal with disagreements by giving in or making up for it quickly and moving on. I have difficulty confronting or wow. saying no, and sometimes it makes me less than truthful. The pleaser, the pleaser, guys. Um, and right, we're gonna just, just about to say skim, skim one more or something like that. All right, do you want the vacillator or the controller? The controller. All right, let's go with the controller. Controllers need control <laughs> to keep the to keep the vulnerable, painful feelings they experience during childhood from surfacing in their adult lives. Having control means having protection from the overwhelming feelings of fear, humility, humility. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, it's all right. Having control means having protection from the overwhelming feelings of fear, humiliation, and helplessness they had to endure as kids. Anger is one of the is is the one emotion that is not vulnerable. So intimidation and anger are often used to stay in charge. Control may be highly rigid or more sporadic and unpredictable, but controllers rarely realize the real reason they need to be in charge. They rarely have compassion for themselves as to the suffering they endured as children and therefore minimize the impact of their childhood trauma and its effects on their adult relationships. So controllers are people that um, say things like no one protected me from harm when I was growing up. So I had to get tough and take care of myself. Life has taught me to either be in control or be controlled. People would probably describe me as intimidating. Anger is really the only emotion I feel. Things need to be done a certain way or I get angry. I have a few feelings about my childhood except i'm glad it's over because i wouldn't go back a controller right and there there's of course a couple more like i said uh you got the vacillator and the victim and the secure connector but those are those are three we'll we'll just you know I, like yes. i said i'll drop it in the chat so y'all can in the chat this is not a zoom call yes, uh, i said let's um, let's unpack what you just read so let's unpack it so you've identified as a avoider avoider and Correct. i am a hundred percent a pleaser but what happened in the book was they really were pinpointing moments in your life as a child that might have happened because you know i'll let you go first as an avoider you talking about coming from a home with a low affection you know kind of i guess break that down yeah i mean i come from a family so hugs and kisses and stuff like that wasn't really big in my household until um, you got older because your mama love a good hug yeah she it's weird now though it's weird. It's like because you didn't ask for a hug when I was, you know, mm-hmm. in middle school and high school or even elementary school. We 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 didn't embrace like that, right? And then for my father, uh, my father was always there. Thankfully, you know, thankfully, I had, my father was always around. He was always in the house, but he was always supportive. And my mother, they 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 showed their love through support. But as far as affection goes, there was never an uh, affection. There was never a hug or a kiss or or. You know, I love you. I didn't hear that a lot, even though I knew they loved me. I didn't hear it a lot. Mm. And I, I mean, that could be for for many, many reasons. I, I believe my mom was probably like that because of her childhood, mm-hmm. um, because of how she grew up. And, I, you know, I think they went through a lot with their dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about somebody that was abusive. Mm-hmm. So uh, they went through a lot. And that kind of probably trickled down to us. Mm-hmm. If I had to if I had to guess. Um, but to see it unpacked as a 
as an adult mm-hmm. where you I don't get home. I don't get homesick like most people do. Mouth this, can go months without talking to anybody. That's not me. It's weird. But I mean, so even when I left home, it was like one day I told I came in the house and I said, hey, uh, I'm moving to Atlanta. And they said, okay. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't one of these big, you know, some people think, uh, you know, some, some people will, you know, drag it out like, oh, I can't believe I'm about to leave home and stuff like that. And for me, it was just another day. I was, you know, packing up the pacer and I'm on my way to Atlanta. And, and that was kind of what it was. And it took two weeks after I said that for me to leave. Mm-hmm. So I left rather quickly. Um, and I, and I, I have to bring that back to, because I, I mean, I didn't have a lot of affection, so I, I wasn't longing for that, and I still don't long for it now. Mm-hmm. So, so it's very, very weird for me. It's just sometimes that you know they if if they try to show affection now, it's like why you know <laughs> it's really, really weird. And and so we we could be I could be around a bunch of different people, and I just leave the I can just leave the room literally. I say, all right, y'all, I'm out. You and, don't actually. And I really don't say that too There's sometimes. No announcement. You just realize he's been gone for a long time. Yeah, he's like, where did Malcolm go? And oh, he's he in dipped. a whole nother room watching TV by I'm himself. I'm chilling. I'm in my own space and I love it here. You know? <laughs> um, I don't holy. have to dab you. All right, bye, y'all. You know, that's just me. Mm-hmm. That's just me. And, I, and I, I never really understood why I was like that. I never understood what to call it, the avoid. I never even understood what to call it until now. And I'm like, dang, yo, that, like, that is me and my adult life. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I mean, mean, it impacted us too when we first started dating when like, bro wouldn't hold my hand. It, what yeah. are you doing? Why are we doing this? And I was just like, bro, like you just not going. Yeah, I was Because I grew up in a very affectionate home. Like my parents are huge on hugs and I love yous and, you know, all that stuff and, and, and being together. and Y'all had dedicated family time and stuff yes, like that. Like this stuff I thought dinners. was so weird. Like oh, I'm like, Y'all do what? Y'all watch movies together? Yes. After, on Sundays, what is that? On Sundays, my mother would cook a big breakfast and we would have brunch and then we would all gather on the couch and watch a movie together. Maybe yeah, a couple movies. I didn't do that. I, I literally got my food, went to my room, watched TV, chill. That was me, you know? Yes. So it's definitely been an interesting, I would say, adjustment for us collectively because I am the person that likes, you know what I mean? Like, even now with our son, now he's like eating solids and stuff. Like, Caden would prefer to eat with us at the table than he does, you know. He wants to eat what we eat anyway. Yeah, that's <laughs> So it. because of that, it's like, yo, let's sit at the table with him and it helps him now process this is time for dinner. Yeah. Time for dinner. Yeah. All right. Okay. Please your children do everything they can to be good and avoid troubling their reactive or anxious parent. <laughs> Did you like is that like walking on eggshells type stuff? I, so the thing is they say like overly protective or critical. And I'll go with they say or over overly protective, angry or critical. So my parents were very uh on the over overly protective part. Mm, like I'll explain that. Explain it to I mean me. I was the first that. kid. They didn't they didn't know what parenthood was like. You know what I mean? So they were kinda on their figure it out mode. You was really sheltered then. I was very sheltered. Um it was all about school, church, school, 
church some more. So <laughs> wow. I, 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 that's what I would consider overly protective just because I, I don't feel like I had the same exposures um, to certain things until I was uh, kind of mid high school and then in college, of course, when I went away, but um, overly protective. But the other one is critical and it's not critical. I don't, I won't use critical in a negative way with them. Um, I mean, critical in the space of like, there are high expectations because you're setting you're setting the standard for your siblings that are coming after you. And so, so, so let me ask you this. Was it, was it like pressure to always oh, sure. be, to be perfect because Absolutely. somebody's watching you at 24 seven, a hundred percent. And that's not just because um, it was for two reasons, because my father was in ministry and it was be mindful of what it looks like. If you make any mistakes or if anybody would think anything differently than what you're doing or whatever, or if anybody saw you making a mistake or you talk about anything that, you know, could be seen as detrimental to what he was doing. Um, and the other thing was that I had siblings. I was the oldest of three children and that my siblings were watching me. So it was always be mindful of all these things because your brother and sister are watching you. Dude. I mean, do you? And think, I honestly feel like that that messed them up too. I was about to say, do you think they're telling you these things because, like, like when you mentioned your dad mm-hmm. being a preacher and he's telling you to, you know, be on your p's and q's, pretty much. Definitely. Be- do you think it's because of what he does or because he was trying to parent you? I think it's both. Okay. And a lot of times you don't really even hear the you don't really hear the do do what's right stuff from your parents outside of the regular parent part you hear from people that are attached to what they're doing right Mm -hmm. so right before we moved to atlanta uh, i remember there was there was a a mother in the church (laughs) Uh, one of the church mothers sat me down and gave gave me some bread you know i'm like all right bet you know you go ahead and send me give me some money so i can get up out of here you know what i mean because we gonna need it and uh one of the things she said was mind your father's ministry don't do anything that would mess up his name. Well, how did you feel in that moment when that was said? I was honestly shocked. Like, dang, like, <laughs> dang. And, and I, I think it's, it's the reason why when, when children like myself go to college, you you do all the stuff that you couldn't do or you what they call buck wild. And they always say church kids are like this, but it's literally because <laughs> you feel like for so long I have to live what this life is supposed to look like. And I don't believe that's what even relationship with Christ is supposed to be. Anyway, we ain't going to get into all that because that's going to be a whole episode in itself, but that's not what the relationship is supposed to be like feeling like I can't be a person because of what it's going to look like for other people, which goes back into the whole idea of people pleasing. Yeah. And the thing was I can trace the pleaser aspect of my life way farther back than that moment like when give me one when my sister came home from the hospital i i i remember this moment so vividly and it was so crazy because this is what the book was talking about how there are memories from our childhood that because you were a child you can't process them properly you just go with the flow because you don't really understand what's going on but the older you get you start and you and when you do choose to unpack it you kind of get the understanding. And Mm so um, my sister and I were five years apart. My brother and I were eight years apart. And when my sister came home uh, from the hospital, you got to think about it. I was an only child for five years. 
my parents were, they weren't young parents, but they got married when they were 24 and 25. So they had me at 25 and 26. I was born before their first year anniversary. So I was always with them. Mm. I was always with them. I was always with them, their friends. Cause my parents didn't really stop living. Like they still hosted stuff. People still was at the house all the time. They lived their life, but I was with them. So you grew up quickly. I I won't say I even grew up quickly. That's not even what I'm getting at. What I'm getting okay. at is I, I was the center of attention. Think about mm. Caden, right? Okay. Now that we have a son and our first son in that, it's your parents' 18th-ish, whatever, 16th to 18th, one of them. <laughs> grandchild. Grandchild, yeah. So for them, it's a big deal, but it's not new. Yeah. Right. For your family. But it's new for your family because you are your parents' first child together. And so you're their first grant. Caden's their first grant. He's the first garrison grandchild. For me, I'm my parents' first child. I'm their first grandchild. I'm, you know, my my daddy is also the baby. So for your kids to now be having kids, you know what I'm saying? Like this is huge for my family. And the last child that my family had is my cousin. I think is Christopher, and Christopher just turned twenty twenty four. Oh, it was my brother, 22. So that was the last baby in our family was my brother who's 22, right? And so having a baby 22 years later is huge for my family. And so when you look at the way that people are with our family, like my aunt just called me like, yo, I'm sending Canada Easter basket for Easter. I'm like, I didn't even know you celebrated Easter like that. You know what I'm saying? But there's so much care for our son there's so much attention around him so now imagine the same thing with me because i was my father's first child right my father was uh i believe he's the only one of my grandmother's kids that have children that had a child one in wedlock like had a child when he was married yeah so he was the first one so i'm pretty sure that also had different you know but my uncles my uncles had children so young my dad was 25 at this point 26 or whatever so could you imagine the attention that was around Brittany as a kid? It's the first child complex. For sure. The first child complex for your baby at that. And so my, my point is getting at the fact, the same thing with my mom. My mom was the baby of her family. Her sister had kids. Um, cause me and my cousin were, we're a month apart, but that was my aunt's fourth child. And I was my mom's first and we're a month apart. Okay. My uncle had four kids already at this point who are grown. So my mom having a baby is just a big deal. Right. So I was, there was so much attention around me because of that. So now you experience this for five years. I just, you know, you're talking about being an only child for so long that there was so much attention on me. So when that attention now shifts, split. Yeah. it wasn't split. It, it was shifts. Because what okay. you got to think about is when you have another baby, that the majority of the attention goes to the new baby regardless because they need everything. I see. Why do you think people say they would prefer? We're talking about it now. Like, oh, I need Caden to be like two to three before I can even consider having another child. Like in my perfect world, of course. Yeah. Um. You know what I'm saying? And so when you look at that, it's because I need my son, you know, who's now 10 months. I mean, going to be 10 months to have some sort of communication, <laughs> be able to help you probably going to be in daycare by then or something. Yeah. So that I can actually put the attention on the other child, but who's going to need way more attention at that point. And so my sister comes home from the hospital, all the attention went to her, like all the people that I knew, my uncles and my aunts that would come to my parents' house to hang out with them. They was walking past me like I didn't exist. It it happens immediately. 
Right. And so I can pinpoint, I, I remember the feeling. I remember being that little girl. And of course my parents, they still live in the house that I grew up in. So I remember exactly where I was standing. I was standing in the doorway to the dining room mm-hmm. while people were coming in the house to see my sister. Now I love my sister. I was asking for a sister and all this stuff like that, but I can't process that as a kid that all the people that are used to coming to see Brittany were coming to see Amber. Yeah. And so that's where you start doing things to be recognized, which ah, is what it now talks me, about. Look at me, look at me or making people feel good or doing the things that people can. Oh, Brittany, can you get that? Brittany. Now Brittany becomes this reliable Brittany at five. Mm, I see. Okay. So you become this reliable person at five where now they're, they're putting the expectations on you already at five. Exactly. I got you. Yeah. I mean, this this is stuff that you you kind of starts. Unfortunately, you start seeing when you get older, when you're out of the house. Look, it says it. It says rather they spend their energy comforting, caretaking, and appeasing parents and siblings. Because when you're the oldest and, you, and there's so many years in between you and your siblings, you got to think about it. When I'm 11, my sister's five. You're the babysitter. I'm now the second mom. It's not yeah, even a babysitter. You're the second you mom. become mommy, other mom. Wow. And I think that's where over time you now become this person that wants to do all these things to make people see you want, you don't like rejection. And that started at five years old in that dining room when people were walking past me. Okay. Well, I have, I'll I'll say this um, to, to end that point. Um, Because I, I, I think when I look back, you know, to my childhood and more so, my childhood in sports, right? And I told you about this. Yeah. I always felt like I got the short end of the stick. <laughs> or I always felt like I got overlooked somehow. And I was I was so talented in everything I did, right? Mm-hmm. But I felt like because I was so laid back mm-hmm. into myself, and that could be for a number of reasons, of course, because, you know, how, you, how you're brought up, but because I was so laid back and 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 like that, that it got overlooked a lot of times, especially when it came to my coaches, mm. or it came to somebody of authority. Period. That okay, I could pinpoint even when I want to say I can go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, college was like okay. I'm starting all four years mm-hmm. playing basketball, doing something I love. And my coach takes me out of starting lineup. Don't know why. And at this point, it triggered me. It triggered me so hard that I'm like, okay, I'm mad. At this point, I ain't never been as mad before in my life. That's true. You were very upset. So this is how I know that I was triggered. And I had to think back to, okay, why are you so mad? And, and I kind of started noticing this then. I said, why are you so mad? It's because nothing I ever had or nothing I ever done was easy. Mm-hmm. I, I I was always that underdog type. Mm-hmm. Even getting to college and playing collegiate basketball, that was a whole underdog story. Like I didn't get recruited out of high school because – we had a 15-man roster with 14 going D1 pretty much. I mean, really 10 going D1. So you don't really get that many minutes to showcase what you can do. Facts. So when you get out there and you, you start seeing that, okay, 
what's the next level? You got to scrape and crawl and everything else to even get yourself an opportunity to get out there. So I had the chip on my shoulder. But going back, I'm like, yo, why do I feel so triggered that this has happened for no reason at all? I'm, I'm talking about playing well, averaging the most points I've ever averaged. Why does he decide to do this now? And I asked him and, he, you know, he said he was he was trying to build confidence in another player. I went off. <laughs> I, I'm telling you that I so went. So sorry for that, coach. I'm so sorry because this is my guy now. You know, I uh, love him now. But I went off on him. I said, if you ain't got confidence, you shouldn't be playing. <laughs> That's real, though. That's real. That's this, this is how I felt. If you don't get, if you don't have any confidence, why? What are we doing here? I had built this confidence up because even from playing in AAU, really, really good, but seemed to be overlooked. And I and I kept under, I kept figuring out like why why am I getting so mad? And it happens all the time in your adult life that you feel like oh the second that you feel that you're undervalued somewhere, oh I'm not with this. And you start checking out. I check out quick, very quickly. But now that you know that, and now that you've identified that, what did you pinpoint it to in your childhood that now makes you feel oh now I know I'm in a state of undervalued. Now I know that people are are overlooking me. I think it happened um, in high school, not even childhood. It happened in high school um, because I was I was I really wanted to showcase my talent there at that school, right? So my dad asked the coach, "Why is he not playing?" And this is what he told him. He said, "He's the most uncompetitive person I've ever met." And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm shell shocked to that. That was the excuse. I said, what? I said, from now on, there will never be a question of how competitive I am. Mm-hmm. So it immediately became a I'm a show you type thing. And that I can 100% say has carried along with you. Yeah, legit. Since I've known you. Legit. Like, because when I heard that, I said, I mean, really? That's what we're saying? So immediately that 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 even triggered me to like, okay, I'm gonna never allow somebody to ever say anything like that about me again. And that's where I just came became relentless when it came to that. But and I and like I didn't that? allow people to get close to me because of that. Mm. Wow. Except yeah. for me. Yeah, except for you. But I, it it what it did because if you hear that from your coach, right? If you hear that from somebody that that's of authority, you lose trust. And what it does is it gets very, very hard to trust anybody else that's of authority that says that they that they believe in you because they say all these things. They say all these words and stuff like that to you. But when you hear that from somebody that has told you all these things, that they spoke all these all these things to you. And now they say that now I don't trust you. So now who else can I not trust? So now you have severe trust issues. Oh, crazy. Absolutely. So. Here's the question I'll pose, I guess, to wrap this up, like knowing what we know now, um, I think that's that's the theme question at this point. Knowing what you know now, what are some things that you would recommend to our listeners that are working on things or unpacking and, you know, being able to say these are the things that I realize are triggering me, but they stem back to these moments in my life that were very impactful um, that I'm just now recognizing. Like, what would you 
what would you now share with the listener or the person that's listening to this that you're doing, we're doing, um, that you would recommend for them to do? Uh, I mean, as for one, as a man and as a black man in America, we don't take therapy seriously. I would recommend somebody you, you talking to somebody. Uh, because sometimes we don't even know the trauma that we carry and we don't know our toxic traits or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But anytime I think you feel triggered on something, there's obviously something underlying there mm-hmm. as to why you feel that way. So I would I would I would suggest somebody, you know, reach out to somebody to talk to. My preference would be somebody that's professional, but talking to your spouse, talking to, you know, the person that you're closest to. To start unpacking some of these things that kind of shaped who you are, how you operate and how you move throughout life can be very beneficial when it comes to you now transforming your life. So life lesson. I would say in regards to childhood trauma, um, it's important to learn about things like your love style. Um, I honestly would say if if you're listening to this, get the book or the audio, How We Love and really start to learn about the type of person that you are, um, why you love the way you love or why you uh, hate the things you hate. Why do you not like rejection or why do you feel like people are going to leave you Um, and really start to understand, get a better understanding of yourself because I feel like only then when you start to really understand yourself, one, you feel better because I think a lot of times you, you feel like, why am I like this? Or why do I hate this? Or what's wrong with me? But I think when you start to unpack this stuff and really start to break down and have a better understanding, you give yourself more grace because you know that, okay, now that I've gotten here and I've acknowledged these things, this is how I can grow. This is where I can change. Um, and this is where I want to change. Yeah. What would My you life say? lesson, uh, I think pinpoint these things earlier, you know, like it's so many things that may happen in your life that may trigger you in some form or fashion. And it's, it's important for you to kind of acknowledge it then Yeah. and kind of explore it uh, because we all have childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. We all have some uh, things that happen in our childhood that kind of shape us as adults. And understanding that you are this way because of some type of thing that may have happened to you in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's important and it's okay to explore why. Good or bad, explore it. Um, because you never know, you know, what the what the hard work could do. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you guys again for tuning in to Let's Talk About It podcast uh where we are unpacking the effects of the things that we deal with in life and how they shape us millennials um as we are approaching you know 30 some of us are in our 30s and some of us are in our mid-20s how these things are shaping us all these different life experiences and life transitions shape us so tune in next time like share subscribe tell a friend join the patreon join the patreon we got some incredible stuff coming for you guys um and listen we love you and we'll see you soon oh follow us follow us (laughs) follow us Um, malcolm underscore garrison two underscores yes thank you for the two underscores um and then you can follow me at Brittany Donnell and then you can follow our podcast at so let's talk about it pod on IG and then if you want to be featured as one of our questions uh we didn't have one tonight because the baby is up yeah the baby's up (laughs) the baby is up and he is crying and we have to get upstairs now um but if you want to be featured as one of our questions on our podcast you can email us at so let's talk about a pod at gmail.com so again we love y'all we'll see you guys on the next episode all right y'all